Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thank you for spending a half an hour of your week with us. We appreciate it. You know, we'd also appreciate if you if you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a rating or a review. That's always extra special. This is episode number 135 of The Next Track, and probably like you, we are thinking about the holidays. As I've gotten older, I've come to really not appreciate the Christmas season. Not, not having kids at home means that I don't have the pressure of buying toys, and my, my partner and I decided not even to have a Christmas tree this year. We did plant a pine tree in the garden that we will decorate, but we're not going to have a Christmas tree in the house. We're not going to do anything fancy. But as professional broadcasters, we have to make a nod to the Christmas season, and we have decided this week to do the Next Track's annual Christmas gift guide. Now, I don't think we did one last year. No, we didn't. So this is our first, and this is our third Christmas, isn't it? Uh, yes. We've yes. been doing this for two and a half years, so we're two years overdue with an annual gift guide. Maybe we'll do another one in three years. I really, ladies and gentlemen, it's really just an excuse to talk about cool stuff. That's all. You know, whether you actually put this on a gift list or... Purchase it for yourself in April. It doesn't make any difference to us. It's just, since we're all in the acquisitive frame of mind this time of year, this is a good way to let off a little steam. Yes. It gets colder and darker. The nights are longer. So we probably spend more time thinking about things that we want. Plus, some of us take advantage of Black Friday sales or over here in the UK, there's Boxing Day the day after Christmas when you can get a lot of stuff cheap. So if you've been planning on buying something, as I will mention for one of my picks, then it is a good time to take advantage of this stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time putting my list together because I actually did not want to include too much music. We do an next track pick every week. We recently did our Desert Island Discs picks. So we, we've got 120-odd next track picks, and all through the various shows, we've also mentioned other things. How about you? What do you mean? How easy was it? To put the list together? Yeah, and did you include music? I actually didn't include any music for the same reason. It's like I'm always thinking about music to recommend. So, I mean, what was I going to do? Pick one CD and say, hey, get this. It's the greatest thing you'll hear all year. I couldn't imagine such a thing. So, no, I stuck strictly with hardware, software, that kind of stuff. Okay, so let's do a thing to decide who's going to go first. Odds or evens? Uh, I will take evens. One, <laughs> one two, two, three. three. Okay, evens, you go first. I've talked about this before. This item, I, I couldn't live without it. I couldn't live without many of them. Angle plugs. Now, I've talked about angle plugs in the past and how uh, they have saved me from hours of tedious soldering and repairing of headphone cables. And this is what I'm talking about. If you are a wired headphone user, you're probably used to plugging your headphone in directly in a forward-facing jack. Perpendicular to the surface to which you plug. Yeah, I don't know how to put it. It faces front. It sticks out. Yeah, it sticks out. You plug it in and you it sticks out. And then what happens is the cable hangs down and you unplug the cable, then you plug it in and it turns and it, it starts to, the thing starts to wear away. It frays. You've got to replace the plug or you have, you, you probably do what I do. You put up with months of, if I just twist it a little bit, It'll still connect and it'll sound okay. Another problem that I've had in the studio is that a lot of hardware has the headphone jack on the top. For instance, on a mixing board, the headphones jacks are usually on the top. That bends the cable even more. And this was never a problem for me when I played guitar and I used guitar cables because you could buy guitar cables with angled plugs on the end. 
ostensibly because they wanted a, uh, a low profile when you plugged it into the guitar, but you also wanted a low profile on the amp because I used to use Fender amps. I had this great Fender basement amp, and the top panel angles in just maybe like 10 degrees, and if you plug a straight cable into that, it also bends more than it would even if it was perpendicular, but it's not. It's slightly off the perpendicular. So, angle plugs. Now, you can generally find headphone angle plugs at um, at Amazon pretty readily, but I've got angle plugs for uh, mono cables like a guitar or a musical instrument amp, uh, headphones, of course, different sized headphones. I can go from quarter inch to, what is it, eighth inch? 3.5 millimeter, whatever it is. Yeah. Also, RCA uh, angle plugs for those tight squeezes in the uh, when you have a, a receiver or, or equipment in a in a tight spot, you don't have to bend the cable. You can just have it come straight out and roll it up and dress it up and and have it really nice. And and it's really practical when you're plugging something in behind an amplifier. Because you, when you get that ang, when you get that bend on the cable behind the amplifier, you've got so many cables that it turns it into cable spaghetti. And 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 just as a as a PS, I also have them for USB and FireWire cables, for tight squeezes or, actually, I have these very short cables that run from a MacBook about six inches below the MacBook to where I have uh, some external drives. I don't need four feet of of USB cable. So I have this nice angle. It just runs in the back straight down, straight into the um, into the external drive. So angle plugs. I mean, I could I could tell you where to look for them, but if a quick Google search, you'll find typical headphone ones at Amazon. But you really have to do some searching to find the more unusual uh, sized ones. We'll put some links in the show notes to all of these items. I wasn't going to start with my plug related item, but since you mentioned yours first, I'm going to mention banana plugs which I have mentioned many times, which are one of the great inventions for audio equipment. Uh, banana plugs are what you screw onto bare wire to plug into speakers. Most speakers, they have, what would you call it, a post that you screw a red or a black plastic thing on to squeeze the bare wire. And you do that, and the wire eventually breaks and it crimps, and it, you have to twist the wire up to stick it through the hole in the post, and you end up pushing half of it off to the side. And banana plugs eliminate that problem because most speakers, those red or black, I guess, screw-on covers to the posts, have a little thing in the middle that you can pop out with a small screwdriver and have a plug. Now, this is a mono plug. It's just basically a, a simple electrical connection. So it's not even like an RCA plug where you have two where you have an inside and an outside connector. Right, one wire per plug. So what you do is you take your speaker cables, which has two wires, and there's one's the black and one's the other, and you put the black banana plug on the black one, you put the other one on the other one, and you just plug them into the speakers in the back. Now, you don't unplug your speakers that often, but every once in a while you do move your stereo system around, you unplug your speakers, you have to rewire them, and... What I did is a few years ago, I started buying banana plugs, but I didn't go around my speakers and put them on. It's just whenever I did move my speakers, such as when I moved house and packed everything up, that's when I put all the banana plugs on. So now I can unplug a speaker, change the wire, change the location, and do it very, very easily. One thing about banana plugs and speaker wire, I don't buy these expensive speaker wires because, well, if you listen to this show, you know why. You can cut your speaker wire to the exact length that you need, put banana plugs on it, and you won't have extra wire hanging around 
looping around behind a a shelf or something like that. So once you set up your stereo system in a new position, measure your wires, add about a foot or so just to be safe, snip it off, banana plugs. The thing I like about banana plugs is I hate doing that rewiring. You got to twist, you know, twisting wires and try to get them to fit into these little, you know, the eye of the needle, as it were. It's so much better when you've got when you've got the plugs. It's fair to say that more expensive audiophile cables come with the, this sort of plug at the end, and they're wired and they're sealed, and then you don't have to worry about it. But I, I use a fairly thick copper cable that I got off Amazon, like a 50-meter roll of it, which seems to be more than sufficient, and putting the banana plugs on just makes it easier. Yep, they're great. They're, they really are. We talk a lot about having um, making sure you have enough external drives you know, to do all your backups and stuff like that. And you and I both use four, I think you're using eight terabyte external drives now. Yeah. Uh, I've got a bunch of Passport four terabyte drives. And so they don't clutter up the place, I got these terrific little shelves from 12 South. They're called iMac backpacks. And they're essentially uh, little shelves that fit on the back of the iMac stand. And I've got three of them back there. And each of them hold a couple of the uh, backup drives. And I think one has, like, I've got some MIDI stuff on there or whatever. But the great thing about it is it, it keeps the equipment up above the table. So when you look at the, the iMac, you don't see a bunch of gear back there. They're sitting right behind the screen. The great thing about these sh- little shelves is they're perforated. So there's plenty of air. You can put some hot things on there, and they, it won't bother the iMac. And there's, they get plenty of, uh, of airflow back there. They're just terrific. I just looked them up. They're 35 bucks each, which is not cheap, but it's true that if it enables you to put that portable hard drive that's plugged into your iMac, keep it out of the way, and make sure it's safe and protected, it's probably worth it. I, I don't know that I'd want to buy three of them. And I don't know how comfortable I'd be stacking portable hard drives either because of the heat buildup. Well, like I said, I haven't seen any, I haven't had any problems with it. I've been doing it this way for a long time. Three is a bit much. Um, I originally, the reason I have three is because I bought them for three different iMacs, but my wife decided not to use it for some reason or another, so I took it back. And then another iMac I had, I took it out of service, so now I've got three of them. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, we both mentioned we really didn't pick much music, but I did pick some music. A little bit. So one of my suggestions is, and you can buy this for yourself or for a friend, is a streaming music subscription. Now, those listeners who've been listening to the show for two and a half years know that when we started, we were pretty much, I would say, anti-streaming music. And we've kind of been won over by the convenience and the broad availability of music, even though not everything is there. And in your Desert Island Discs list, you picked Robert Fripp's Exposure, which is not on the streaming music services, just like all of King Crimson's music is not on the streaming music services. So there still are some holdouts. There are record labels like Hyperion, the classical label, that will probably never go on the streaming music services. But for the most part, it's kid in the candy shop. It's You've got almost everything. It really has gotten better you know, when Apple Music came out, I subscribed because I write about this stuff. I write about Apple and iTunes and all that. And I didn't start using it that much, but it's improved and they've added more stuff. And I don't care about the playlists they offer. And sometimes the for you suggestions are ludicrous. But overall, for 10 bucks a month or 10 pounds a month, you can't beat it. Unfortunately, this means I'm buying fewer CDs and 
introducing less money into the music business ecosystem. But if you love music, it's pretty hard to ignore streaming these days. Well, as we've discussed, I wouldn't feel any guilt about not injecting money into the music business because the music business seems to be doing pretty well with streaming. They're actually starting to make large profits. They're getting bigger user bases. Apple just announced they have 56 million subscribers to Apple Music, 6 million new subscribers in the last six months, I think it is. Also, I see it as an accessory. It's not, you know, I, I don't know what it is with this zero-sum arguments that we see about you've got to have streaming no cds are good no file downloads are good it's like why can't you have all of them well you can i was just listening to an actual cd this morning yeah yeah that i put into a drive and i pressed a button to start playing and as i've mentioned several times in the past when we were teenagers we had a receiver a turntable a cassette deck later on we probably also added a cd player we had four things no one sat around arguing which one was better they all had different purposes you had a reel-to-reel deck too i'm sure uh i had access to one yeah yeah uh, so i don't see what the problem is if you, 10 bucks a month is it's a fabulous price to pay well the dichotomy is renting versus owning it's not it's not a question of one medium being better than the other it's the rental versus the ownership it means that more money goes to the really popular artists and less money goes to the obscure artists because instead of buying a record from a small band, you might just stream it, and that's that really hurts that small band a lot. It doesn't hurt Beyonce or name some other popular... See, I can't even name popular... Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. It Kanye hurt, West. It doesn't hurt them if you don't buy a record. It hurts the smaller artists. So keep buying records from your favorite small artists to support them. One other thing about streaming music, if you use Apple Music, I'm not sure if Spotify does this. If you use Apple Music, you can buy yourself a $100 Apple Music gift card. And when you apply it to your account, the your device, iOS or iTunes, whichever, will ask you if you want to convert that to a 12-month renewal for your Apple Music subscription or just use it for normal purchases. So that means you're getting a year for $100 instead of paying $120. And so that's what I did recently. Black Friday, there were iTunes gift cards for $80, $100 iTunes gift cards for $80 on Amazon in the U.S., and boom, 80 bucks a year. I later saw it for $78. Ooh. I didn't want to tell you. I knew you would have wanted that two bucks. I saw the first ones at 85 and then they went down to 80 Speaking of competing audio platforms, we've also kind of come around to the recognition that vinyl is a thing. Uh, at first, I think I was very, I didn't really think that vinyl was a good option. But now I, I, I'm like, okay, if you want vinyl, get it. But if you're going to listen to it, if you're going to listen to vinyl with any kind of seriousness, you need a decent turntable. And I don't know how many turntables I've seen lately that are just these cheap, belt-driven turntables. What you want is the Techniques SL1200. That's the standard that we used to have back in the, my radio days. Uh, I owned one myself. They kind of don't make them anymore. You can find an original one on eBay. They, they've recently started remanufacturing them. They come with preamps now and things like that. But if you're going to buy, if you can't find a, a good SL1200 from Techniques, at least look at what makes that a great turntable and buy a turntable that has those qualities it's got to be heavy it's got to be direct drive it can't be belt driven belt driven turntables the belt will eventually shrink or break or expand or do something and your, your records will not play at the right speed get a direct drive turntable get one with a heavy heavy base 
Now, we're talking about $400, $500, maybe even $1,000 for these turntables. But if you're going to listen to vinyl... Hold on, Dougie. What you got? Hold on, Dougie. Richer Sounds, which is a big change here in the UK, they're selling it for £2,699, but that's a saving of £300. Yeah, I think when they reintroduced it a few years ago, it sold for like $4,000, and you might be able to find them used or whatnot. While that is the holy grail... I don't think I would pay less than four or five hundred dollars for a turntable because, you know, you really need a well-made one. Audio Technica makes them, Denon makes them. They are available at that price range by reputable dealers, but just don't buy the rinky-dink toy ones. I I read Stereophile in its digital version. I have a, a a magazine thing that gives me access to thousands of magazines, and I'm stunned in every issue by the price of turntables. And there's one that there's a half-page ad for every time. It costs $40,000. Yeah, well, whatever the market will bear. But remember, back in the day, turntable was one of the most expensive uh, components in your system. Don't skimp. Okay, as long as we're talking about hardware to listen to music, I'm going to discuss something I believe I mentioned once in the past. It's my iso-acoustic speaker stands. These are little speaker stands, and they're well-insulated. So you have a, a base, and then you have four poles that go up, and then you have a top part. They come with different length poles. I think there are two different lengths in the ones that I got. And the place where the pole goes in is dense rubber. So it's isolating at the feet. It's isolating where the poles are connected at the bottom and then where the poles are connected at the top. The reason I use these is to have bookshelf speakers on my desk. No cheap computer speakers for me. Bookshelf speakers about 18 inches tall. You want them to be isolated from the desk. I have a, a, an oak desk. It's about two inches thick. And if I left the speakers on the desk, the bass would cause a bit of wow and flutter. But also, you want the tweeters to be at ear level. So these raise the speakers up so they're at the right height, and they isolate the speakers from the desk so you don't get that bass rumble. You might want to use the shorter version if you're just putting them on a shelf someplace. I believe they come in three different sizes, depending on the, the footprint of your speakers. I picked the smallest one because these are bookshelf speakers. They're not cheap around $100 for these, and they go up for the larger sizes. But one of the best investments I've ever made for isolating my sound, it doesn't improve the sound, but it keeps the sound from getting bad because the speakers are in contact with something. Speaker stands are great. I try to always isolate speakers no matter what. I've used packing foam, things like that, to, to angle them up. I've got two little speakers on my on my desk here that I use, and they're just separated from the desk by packing foam and, you know, that stuff, that rubbery stuff you can buy to, to line uh, kitchen shelves and closets. It's like this rubbery stuff. I can't get enough of that stuff. You can get it in different colors and stuff. We've got it all over the place in my house. I just <laughs> love it because you can put things on it. They don't slide. But anyway, anything you can do to isolate the speakers makes them sound better or it makes them doesn't make them sound bad as you put it. Exactly. It doesn't make it sound better. It's not like, oh, I've just put this power conditioner in and everything sounds twice as good. It's preventing a side effect from the speakers being in contact with something else. Right. I've mentioned this in the past, and I still am really enthralled by how well they work. These are the Behringer Uphono UFO 202 Audiophile USB Audio Interface with built-in phono preamp. This is a $30 item that you use to get the USB audio in and out. Uh, you plug it into the USB jack on the back of your computer. And you have two RCA ins and two RCA outs. You have an optical and a headphone uh, connection. 
And it's great if you want to take something analog and get it into your computer. I use it to get the digital out of my computer into my amp. But I also have used it to record stuff from uh, a portable radio, for example, or a portable cassette player I had. I took the headphone output, plugged it into this, was able to uh, dump some cassette audio down to digital. I don't want to believe this, but I have done an A-B comparison with the direct audio out from the iMac as opposed to using this, and it just sounds a little bit more there. I don't like to use that, that kind of terminology, but it just seems more there. All the sound is, is better there. So uh, I highly recommend these. I've been recommending them for years, and uh, uh, I, I'm just incredibly happy with them. Okay, I said that I didn't pick much music, but I did pick one unit of music. I've mentioned this as an extract pick a few weeks ago. It is the Bach 333 box set, 220 CDs, all of Bach's music. It's not just that it's a Bach. It's that the approach to making this set of including multiple performers and multiple versions on piano and harpsichord. You know, Bach is this performer whose era is now covered by musicians playing on original instruments. When you get a little bit later, when you get up to Mozart and all that, yes, they can, but Mozart hardly wrote anything for harpsichord. Only his earliest piano works were really written for harpsichord. So with Bach, you get a wider variety of performance practice, of instrumental choices, and the range of performers is so broad for Bach's music. I've been, I said I was listening to a CD this morning. I was listening to some of Bach's keyboard works on piano. I used to be a harpsichord fundamentalist back in the day, but I've grown to appreciate the piano for Bach much more. It's all of Bach's works. It's all his cantatas, his keyboard works, his organ works, his orchestral works. It's a miraculous set. And again, it's the approach that makes it so interesting. Now, two years ago, the Mozart 225 set took a similar approach, but it was more about alternate performances and less about alternate instrumentation. There were some original instruments like string quartets, the instruments with gut strings or some something like that. But with the Bach, there's a little bit more variety in terms of instrumentation and performance. So it's an expensive set. It's 400 pounds here in the UK. I bought mine from Amazon France where it was about 20% cheaper. You know, it costs next to nothing for shipping from one European country to another. I think it was five euros to ship this 20-pound box set of CDs to me in the UK. And if you're in the US and you order from Amazon in Europe, they take off the VAT. And the shipping, I think, is only about 15 pounds from the UK. So you're saving more in VAT than you are that you're paying for shipping. So I'll put a couple of links in the show notes with the prices at the time that I create the show notes. So if anyone is interested, I'll try and point out the cheapest place you can buy it. If someone wants to buy that for me, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> if a forklift pulled up in front of my house with, with that, I would be pretty happy with it. We had Peter Chilvers on, who is a developer, and um, he works closely with Brian Eno on his his apps that he's released. We had him on with, for uh, to talk about reflections. We also had him on when he uh, was talking about his Travis and Fripp app, which both of those are, are really incredible self-generating, auto-generating compositing. I don't know how you want to refer to them, but they're just delicious apps. One of his original apps called Bloom is going to be available or is available. I'm not sure when we're releasing this podcast, but it should be available soon. The 10th anniversary edition of uh, their, I think one of their first collaborations. I've never tried it, but in reading about this new version, apparently it has 10 worlds, which means I'm guessing that it has 
10 times as many possibilities to see and to hear the visuals and the um, and the auto-generated music. So I'm looking forward to getting this myself, but I would certainly recommend it as a as a wonderful gift or even Reflections and Travis and Fripp. They're just they're just remarkable apps. What's cool about Bloom is it's an app that you can use to play around and make music. You tap on it and you create the music. And I remember when I first discovered this, I guess when it first came out, it was one of the earliest iOS apps. I found this just fascinating. And it, and it to me, was the promise of Brian Eno's ideas in music brought into the new technology that we had. We'll see if we can get Peter on to talk about this, because I see that it's due to release on the 7th of December, which is this Friday. But I don't know if we're releasing this episode this Friday or the following week. So it's either going to be out the day you hear Doug's dulcet tones describing the app or a week earlier. So I mentioned that I bought something on Black Friday and I had been waiting because I knew it would be on sale and save 25 pounds, right? Why not? I have two HomePods up in my bedroom and they're connected in a stereo pair and they work really well because the way my bedroom is laid out, there's no room to put an amplifier and bookshelf speakers, which is what I had in the house I lived in until about two and a half years ago. And the two HomePods on shelves, they fit well, they're discreet. The sound's okay, but it's overpriced for what it is. I needed a speaker for the kitchen. Well, I wanted a speaker, but I needed a speaker because sometimes you're cooking and you want to have music. Like the other day I was making a risotto and I needed something to keep the rhythm of my hand stirring the rice as I was doing this. So I waited for Black Friday and I bought a Sonos One. I think, now I haven't heard the Google Home, which has gotten good reviews, but I think as far as these smart speakers go, if you're looking for something with good audio quality, it's the HomePod or the Sonos One. Haven't you written an article comparing the Sonos One and the uh, HomePods? I have, but I don't know when it's going to be online. So it might be online by the time this podcast comes out, in which case I will put a link in the show notes. If not, it'll be shortly after. The thing about the HomePod is it has a sound signature. Bassy, heavy, imposing. The Sonos is extremely neutral. I set up the two in my office on a shelf about a foot apart, and I used my iPhone. I went back and forth. I adjusted the volume because the Sonos is a bit louder, so I had to reduce the volume. I used this with a, an app that measures the volume in decibels, so I was able to get it pretty well matched. And I went back and forth, and the HomePod just has this bassy sound signature, and the Sonos one is relatively neutral. Extremely neutral. You said it was extremely neutral. Well, I'd say extremely neutral compared to the HomePod, but I wasn't comparing it to anything else. So it's kind of hard. I didn't want to compare it to my full-size stereo because I didn't think that would be fair. The Sonos app does give you some EQ controls. It lets you adjust the bass and the treble and the loudness. In order to do this for the HomePod, you have to set whatever device is streaming to the HomePod using its EQ. So on an iPhone, you can set the music EQ. But if you're telling the HomePod to play directly from Apple Music, you have no control over EQ. And the Sonos One in its normal price, well, it's $200 in the U.S. and the HomePod is $350. Uh, frankly, it's a no-brainer. The only limitation is if you're really wedded to the Siri ecosystem, then you're going to want the HomePod. If you're wedded to Alexa, then you're going to want the Sonos One. If you don't care about either of these, which I don't, and you just want the sound, the Sonos One is a much better deal. I'm sure there's going to be an after-Christmas sale and you'll save in 25 bucks if you buy it then. If not, still, $200 for what it offers is pretty good. 
I would like to have a second one to hear how it sounds as a stereo pair, but I don't really need to buy another one, so that's an expense I'm not going to make. Just this week, Apple announced that Apple Music is going to be available on the Amazon Echo, and some people suggest that maybe this is uh, Apple acknowledging that the HomePod is not catching on. I'm not really sure. I think they just want to have more subscribers. I think they want more subscribers because the quality of the sound on the Amazon Echo is pretty much as bad as you can get without going for a Bluetooth speaker. So I think it's more about a subscriber base than anything to do with the HomePod. But you can have Apple Music on the Sonos. The Sonos supports like dozens of music services that you access through the Sonos app. I'm just airplaying to the Sonos. In fact, that was one of my main criteria for a speaker in the kitchen is that it supports airplay. I didn't want a Bluetooth. It supports AirPlay 2. AirPlay 2, yes. There are only three Sonos devices that support the AirPlay 2. The Sonos 1, the Sonos Beam Soundbar, and I think it's the Sonos Play 5 version 2, which is their big stereo unit. So that means that I could play music to the Sonos 1 and to my HomePods at the same time, which is an advantage. Okay, Doug, I think it's time to wrap up, but how about one more bonus pick really quick for each of us? Because we're not doing next tracks this week, are we? Really quickly, without having to describe it, I've got hundreds of CDs in my closet. I don't know what to do with them. You know what I'd like to have? A CD jukebox. I know they're awkward, but it would be just another thing to have. Sony used to make 300 and 400 capacity CD jukeboxes. They have been discontinued, but you can find them. Uh, and they're still being sold on Amazon. So a CD jukebox, while probably something for the for the for the audio file that has everything, that would be great for that box three thirty three box set. They could give it away with the CDs. They could call it box CD jukebox in a box or something. There you go. Okay, my quick pick is new speakers. If you haven't updated your speakers in a long time, like ten years or more, you know the tweeters on speakers they don't remain constant over time. Some years ago, I gave my son a pair of Wharfdale diamonds that I had bought 30 years ago. And so they were probably 20 years old when I gave them to him. And he liked the speakers. And then when he came to visit, he heard the speakers that I was using in my office, the focal cords. He says, wow, these sound so much better. They're so much brighter. And I said, you know what? That's because those speakers you got are old. So that was my Christmas present to him this year was new speakers. If your speakers are, you know, 10, 15 years old, time for a change. I think speakers are the best investment you can make in your audio system and technology has improved a lot in speakers. New materials, better production. Better design, too. Good good design, although probably fewer are made of actual wood and more are made of things like MDF and particle board. But update your speakers if you can. So that's it. Merry Christmas, a little bit in advance. Buy your gifts. And hey, everyone, don't tell Doug, but, but maybe you should crowdfund that Bach 333 box set for him. Oh, thank you, everyone. How thoughtful. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.